Good morning. Today I want to talk about the binding nature of life's complexity and what to do about it, and why it is indeed important for us to be aware of it. I'm sitting in a rather warm room um, because it's August and the temperature at seven o'clock in the morning is over 30 degrees. So if there's a slight hum in the background, it's probably because of the air conditioning. So, when we're born, we're born into a miracle of complexity, which is the world around us. Everything you can see, hear, or imagine is a miracle of complexity. We are instantly able to breathe and eat and survive in this environment the moment we are born. This moment in time, at our birth, it is probably the only single moment when life is really at its simplest for us. We have virtually no expectations. We have absolutely no commitments. We are quite simply just born. And this is how we start out in life. We are probably the purest form of human being right at that moment, with no past and no real future, so to speak of, just a physical need for food, warmth, security, and comfort, and of course, lots of sleep. And for the parents of you who have young children, lots of poo as well. From that moment on, we are subjected to expectations. These are placed naturally before us and normally by our parents. We are, for example, fed at regular intervals, normally when we scream to start with and later when feeding time comes round. Just the fact that we're put into a regular feeding pattern starts the process of expectation and a forward-thinking nature in us. We become accustomed to being cuddled when we fall and hurt ourselves. We enjoy the attention that is foisted upon us by everyone around us. We like our comfortable bed and warmth and the warmth of central heating. And very quickly we adapt to our surroundings and accept them as normal and to be expected. It's worth pausing for a moment and considering this state of affairs. We have, in effect, before our first birthday, accepted an enormous amount of things as normal. Regular food, love, attention, warmth, security, and so on. The reality is that none of these things are really normal at all. For 40% of the world, food is not a given. Neither is security, warmth, or cool air as needed. In fact, you could look at 40% of the world and say that by their first year, assuming they make it to one year of age, their expectations could be entirely different. They might not expect a meal when they go hungry. They might not receive the love that they might be due or the attention. And they might not live in secure settings, climatically, economically, or socially. The point I'm making here is that we all develop expectations based on our surroundings and these expectations are formed early on in our lives and we carry them through out the rest of our lives as they become the foundation for the future motivations we develop in our lives. Imagine what growing up not knowing where your next meal will come from. What sort of behaviour would that drive in you as a young adult? What sort of priorities would you place on food as a result? You can see how, in just this simple example, 
you have become bound to a set of experiences and expectations that you might not necessarily be aware of. Why do some people have to eat everything that is placed in front of them, despite being full to bursting, while others leave half their plate untouched? These are some of the most basic forms of binding that we encounter in our lives. In some ways, they are some of the simplest to identify once you understand how we can be influenced by them. The reason I'm sensitive to this subject is that I was asked the question, what binds you, a few years back by a shaman? And this question has continued to surprise me every day since with the insights into the level of cognitive binding that takes place in, in mine and, I assume, all of our lives. As we grow up, we encounter a greater level of complexity and binding. In fact, the binding becomes multidimensional and interrelated, and that is why life gets more complicated as we grow older. I'll now give you two examples of what I mean. The first story is of a young person who's left home and is living in a big city and getting their first steps on the ladder of their career. Let's call this person Sarah for the sake of argument. Sarah has been working in a large city and has managed to get herself a job at a local company. It doesn't pay much, and as she has, you know, little or no work experience. As a result, she sleeps in a flat with four other people, as this is the only way to pay the rent. She has enough money for food and the odd night out, apart Apart from a few clothes and her mobile phone, she has very little by way of possessions with her. One day she's called up by a recruitment company who asks her if she's interested in working in another country far away. The money is three times more than what she's earning now and tax-free and the employer gives her accommodation too. The next day Sarah tells her boss she's leaving. By the weekend she's packed and has told her flatmate she's leaving, and by the following week she's in another country starting her new job. Sarah didn't have a whole lot to think about in this situation. She packed in a job uh, that wasn't worth a great deal to her anyway, gave the housemates a few weeks' grace to find a new flatmate, and packed her suitcase. The only thing she really did was she rang home to tell her delighted parents the good news and got on the first flight. At this stage in Sarah's life, she has very little binding her to a location or a situation. Most of the aspects of her life are either temporary in nature or easily given up. Decisions about her career are not hugely important as she's just started her career, so she's not technically putting much at risk by moving jobs or careers at this stage of her life. She may have friendships which might be hurt by a sudden change of location, but generally speaking, people in their early 20s probably not looking to settle down and have children at this stage in their lives. So the likelihood is that this too may not be much of a constraint on her decision-making. It is at this stage of your life that you will or should always be being given the advice to go out and make the most of it by people much older than yourself. This is normally because there's a tacit understanding from the older age group that at some stage you're going to be bound up in so many aspects of your life that clearing off to foreign lands to take advantage of an exciting opportunity is a long-forgotten dream by most. Now, 
Compare this story with another one. Paul is 40 and is working in the same city. He has a good job and a family. He's an ambitious person and he also gets a call from a recruitment company offering him a very highly paid tax-free job in another country far away. Paul says to the recruitment consultant, give me a few days to think it over. He goes home that evening and talks with his wife and explains the offer he's received. And between them, they talk through the implications of the job offer and the following list of things arises for consideration. So, do we have to sell the house or can we rent it out? How much will we get for it and will this pay the mortgage? What about the cars? His wife asks. They're on a lease plan and still have two years to run. Will the new company compensate us for this or do we have to sell them? She says, what about the children's education? What are the schools like in this new country? And what about all their friends they have here? What about our parents? When are we going to see them? How often can we come back during the year? What about my job, says his wife? Do I have to give that up? Will this job that you will be getting be a better job when we can't come back? We are coming back, aren't we? You know, what about Fifi, the dog? We can't just leave her here. Who's going to look after Fifi? So you see how within a few years of life, we can become completely enmeshed in a complex set of relationships and interrelationships that effectively bind us to the reality we have created for ourselves. How likely do you think it is that Paul is going to pack a suitcase and get on the next flight? His boss will kindly point out on Monday that he's on a two-year notice period and can't walk out of the job. His wife will point out that it will take a few months to pack up the house and find a tenant. And, and anyway, the school finishes in September, so the, the kids can't move until they've done their exams at the end of the year anyway. Oh, and mum's knee operation is set for November, so there's no way his wife is, is leaving until March next year at the earliest. And she'll need the house and the car until then. And this means that kids need to stay in school while... And so on, and so on. All in all, and just on a superficial level, Paul and his wife have almost zero chance of getting on the next flight. I mean, we'll lose our deposit on the next year's holiday to Greece if we go, won't we? Why do you think it is that CEOs of multinationals get paid millions? Is it because they're worth millions or is it simply a matter that to relocate someone with the right experience and skills at that level means you have to break all the things that have them bound in one place and pay for them to move? In a sense, it's a form of compensation for all the breakage that it causes. The reality is that life is a web of constraints that binds us. The bit that I probably react to most is that often people make these decisions without regard for the restrictions they place upon us. We don't think twice about buying a car on a lease agreement as it's cheaper and easier to, than trying to buy it outright. So we give little consideration to the fact that, although it's cheap, if we were to lose our job, it suddenly becomes very expensive as we have a lengthy contract we need to honour. We can't just pop off to another country if we get another job as we 
have to take care of that lease agreement and the selling of the car or the settlement of the outstanding payments. It's the same for a mobile phone contract. This also might not work in another country, and so you're saddled with an ongoing contract until it's up for renewal. If anything, in today's society, we have worked out that renting or leasing is the key to a cheap life where we can access and own, and I put this in quotation marks, anything we want. The problem is, of course, that what looks like a good thing is actually a web of steel. For the companies that offer these services to people, they're great. It means that whatever happens in the economy, all of their clients are bound up contractually and need to keep paying. Gone are the days when sales revenue stopped when a recession hit. The responsible responsibility for revenue is no longer that of the companies and the sales force. It is instead your responsibility and that of the lawyers that threaten to take your house away if you don't keep up your payments. We are a bit like dairy cows these days. We're regarded by businesses as a regular source of milk in good times as well as bad. This means that we have effectively given up an element of choice in our lives, and we've done so for what appears to be a convenience. In reality, we've become enslaved to a capitalist system that needs us to survive. I often say to my son, if you can't simply pack a bag and go, and you've committed yourself to a level of permanency that may not be of your choosing. Be careful how you choose to bind yourself. There is an important lesson that comes out of realising that we can be caught up in a system of commitments that we may not be aware of making at the time, and only realise when we can't do something that we want to do or need to do because of them. One of the things I find hard to understand is the, the lack of forethought that goes into these things these days. So many people struggle to imagine what might happen in the future if they were to do the things that they are thinking about doing today. It's almost like these days we must have or do what we want as if it's some sort of right that we have. We rarely stop to think what this thing will do to us and to others if we go ahead with it. In a sense, we've become programmed just to maximise our short-term pleasure and not to think too much about the wider implications of what we're doing. In a sense, we're being asked not to think about the consequences as if that might prevent you from doing or spending what you're planning. Life is very much like a game of chess. And if you've never played this game, then I encourage you to do so. You can only really become good at chess if you look ahead four or five moves and see all the possible moves that your opponent could make as well. You have to be able to cover off many lines of attack and ensure that your own pieces are protected as best you can. In a nutshell, chess is about committing to various moves whilst being fully aware of all the things that could go wrong and having a plan to counter these. It's about risk-taking and planning and forward-thinking. And life is very much the same as chess. And if you do decide to play chess, you will often find yourself completely constrained or bound by decisions you made four or five goes before and not able to go anywhere on the board. The reason I'm telling you all of this is that we're entering a period of time in the world 
when things are going to stop being predictable and steady. Job security is going to become hard to find. Skills that you thought you had are going to be overtaken by new skills that you will need. And you have to have multiple jobs or clients in order to earn a living. And there's going to be regular amounts of time when there's just no work at all for you. You might think to yourself, how can you possibly know that about the future? Well, I'm not really talking about the future. The last 15 years has been like this in Western Europe and the USA. And the trend is just growing. All I'm really doing is telling you where the thing is heading. The USA is a declining empire and the dominance of the dollar is waning. Western Europe is also on the wane and with Brexit, the UK is firmly set on the same path. The reason I'm talking so earnestly about what binds us is that with the uncertainty that's coming in the future in regard to work and income, we must be very careful about the commitments we make financially. We're coming out of a period in history where mankind had more of everything than we could possibly need and we were encouraged to mortgage our future earnings through loans and credit cards in order to have all of these things that we wanted now. But this was also a time in history where we had stable employment and regular income. We still have that buying habit in the world today and organisations are primarily focused on getting us to consume as much as possible. The difference, however, is that moving forward, we really won't be able to predict how long we'll have a stable income or how much that will be. So the answer is going to have to be that we don't commit to long-term financial obligations. We need to be unbound by things, able to move to where the work is, able to quickly do a three-month training course when we leave a job to increase our skills so that we don't become redundant. We can't have a mortgage, the lease cars, the 12-month rental agreements and so on. We need to be agile and fleet of foot if we're to survive and thrive in this new workplace that's being built around us. We need to stay healthy because the national health services are not going to be around for very much longer as free services and we won't be able to rely on state pensions in the future. So we're going to have to save a load of money into the bargain too. This is all starting to sound a bit like Moscow rules, the spycraft term for every man for himself when an operation goes wrong or is compromised. And in a sense, it is a bit like that. The future will be a time for something called the sovereign individual. Or to put it another way, you can only rely on yourself as the state support will not be there for you. However, I rather think it will go another way. I think that we will find security and community as we move forwards, much like we did in the 1870s. Towards the end of the 1870s, unions were created in the UK to represent the workers who up to that time in the Industrial Revolution had had no representation and had become pretty ill-treated by the business owners of the time who were more interested in making profit than the livelihoods of their workforces. The Quakers preceded the rise of unions, but also contributed to this idea that living as communities that supported each other was a good thing. Indeed, the very idea of the National Health Service in the UK was an exercise in community. Well, why on earth are we heading in the opposite direction, I hear you say? Well, to understand that, you need to understand the way of natural systems and how they work. 
If you think back to school times, you'll no doubt remember that there used to be a sixth form who were aggressive and domineering, maybe even bullies. And when they left the school, the year below them used to be the opposite of that. That was because they knew how unpleasant it was to live under a domineering class before them. So they were softer on the years below them. The year below them thought that the new sixth formers were soft and too easily taken care and advantage of. So when they got into the sixth form, they tended to be harder again. Well, societies are much the same, except it takes more like a hundred years for the class to change. We have just had the liberal class of sixth formers leave and the new hard cases are back in town and they think we've all gone soft. So they're taking away all the things that could be relied upon and making life harder for everyone. I know, this is a bit of a simplistic explanation, but it does have an element of truth in it. The next 50 years is going to be a time of complete economic, political and social turmoil. We're going to have to live with massive changes to the world because of climate change. We're going to have to transform all of our economic ways away from oil. We won't have real money any longer and we'll have to pay for health services and save for our own retirements completely. We'll probably have countless jobs and no careers and we probably won't want to own anything that will restrict our movements. So, a bit like a chess game. I've laid out many of the moves that are going to be played by the system at the moment and you need to decide how you're going to play the, your game too. One of the most important things I can say in all of this is that be careful as to what binds you or what could bind you. The freer you are to move and make on-the-spur-of-the-moment choices, the happier and less stressful your life is going to be and ultimately the more successful you're going to be in the new world going forward. Remember, in life, that if everyone is heading in one direction, it's probably a good bet to be heading in the other direction. As humans, we have this nasty habit of forming a herd mentality, and rather like lemmings, we have a predisposition to run off the nearest cliff in large numbers. So take your time, Think about what a decision today will mean to you in the future. Don't do something just because everyone else is doing it. Think about it. Get the facts. Make up your own mind and then make a decision. These are all key skills that will determine how successfully you navigate the coming years. The best of luck to you. And I hope that you have a wonderful time. The world is full of remarkable and interesting people and things. Played right, this game of life can be fun and relatively stress-free. But for that to happen, you must be your own person. If you give your freedom of choice away to others, then you'll find life a lot harder to navigate. Remember, always look for what binds you. You'll be shocked at the ideas, the thoughts, the traditions the contracts, the relationships, the promises, that all go into creating a web of restrictions. It takes a strong person to resist the binding and an even stronger person to enter the web and live with some of the binding. As always, I've enjoyed making this podcast. I'm specially indebted to a few of my listeners who make a regular contribution through the Buy Me A Coffee link. Thank you. 
I do these podcasts to support the book, How to Be a Good Human, and to help primarily young people to navigate through some of the topics of the day. If you enjoyed this podcast or you found it interesting, perhaps you could pass it on to someone else that might be interested too. My aim in doing these podcasts and the book is to help people. But although I can write or narrate these things, the one thing I can't do is find the audience for them. The only people that can do that are you, the reader or the listener. So I will always be eternally in your debt if you could act as some form of marketeer for these podcasts and help spread the word. Many thanks, and I look forward to talking to you soon. Bye now.